This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you for that wonderful song. I'm humbled today to be asked to speak to you and give our pastor a bit of a break. You need to come tonight because he's going to be speaking tonight. And uh, we'll look forward to that marvelous message he has prepared. I wish to speak to you today from the subject post-resurrection provisions. Easter has come. We celebrated that as has been emphasized again and again. And what a celebration it was last week. I love Easter because it encapsulates everything that we believe with regard to our redemption, our salvation, and eternity to come. And at the time of our reading today, found in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has arisen. He has uh, appeared to Mary and instructed her to go back and tell Peter and the disciples. They could hardly believe what she was telling them. And Peter and John raced off toward the empty tomb and found there indeed that it was empty and that he had lain his grave clothes aside in an orderly fashion, particularly the face napkin. But at the time of our lesson today, you would never have known that Jesus had arisen. Judging from the countenances and the atmosphere in that upper room. You see, we have a perspective of Easter because we have access to the New Testament. We know why Jesus had to die on the cross in order to purchase our salvation. We know that he needed and must have met the demands of divine justice because man had sinned and God had declared the soul that sinneth, it shall die. We know, we know why he had to be crucified between two thieves to fulfill the Isaiah prophecy there in 53 and 12 that says he will be numbered among the transgressors. We know why the earth quaked and all nature convulsed at the time of his death. Why that happened and we know why it was necessary for the veil to be rent in twain from top to bottom, giving access into the Holy of Holies without the need of a, of a person mediating. Of course, Jesus is our mediator. But we know all these things because we have access to the New Testament. They didn't have that at that point in time. And my dear friends, their perspective of Easter was entirely different from ours, at least at this juncture. I don't think that I have the words to really express how traumatized they were. But before I 
speak of that. Let me go to this passage of Scripture and read from verse 36. While they were still talking about this, there in the upper room, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, they did not believe it because of joy and amazement. He asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. So get the picture, if you can, of disciples who had a vision of how things were going to work out. It was going to be a fairy tale ending, and they were going to be a part of it. But all of their aspirations, hopes, and dreams got stood on their head. I mean everything they had anticipated and assumed is now at their feet in rubble. I, I tell you, these were people who didn't know what had happened or where they were going or what the future held. They were beyond discouraged. They were beyond traumatized. They were in shock. Something drew them back to the upper room. I think maybe hoping against hope that Jesus had left some last-minute instruction for them there, trying to tell them from a, a distance and beyond the grave what, what they should do. There really wasn't much to say. And there they sat, probably mostly in stony silence, when suddenly Jesus showed up. And the first thing he said to them, Peace be unto you. The one thing, my dear friends, they did not have was peace. Their world had been turned upside down. And when I talk to you about post-resurrection provision, of course, again, we know all the theological um, definitions of salvation and adoption and redemption, and we could go into all of those theological concepts, and they're wonderful. But sometimes we need to get it right down to a practical level, a human level. What I need right now is peace from God. And that's one of those wonderful and marvelous provisions that God gives to us. I feel ill-equipped, really, to share this message with you today because as I look out on this congregation, I recognize that what I've experienced in my life probably doesn't compare with what you've gone through 
in that time of your life when it seemed like you were kind of like a little terrier dog that had been taken hold of by a, a pit bull and just shaken until your teeth fell out, metaphorically speaking. I do know, I do know what it feels like to lose three brothers in an untimely death in quick succession. And the, all the unanswered questions and the trauma, I do know what it feels like now as a brother, my last surviving brother, having come down, if, if that's the term, with some form of dementia. And I'm observing losing him right before my very eyes. I, I know the ache in my heart concerning all that. But I still feel that that probably pales by comparison to some of the things that you've experienced. I've thought about my dear friend, Matt Cross, and he may be here in the second service. I, I think he probably comes as near to being a modern-day Job of anybody I've ever known in my life. This dear man who a few years ago could have been a linebacker. <laughs> big and strong, a man's man, supervising a pig pig operation and uh, people uh, working under his supervision. And today, my dear friend has to have assistance in practically everything that he does, being confined to that wheelchair. If Matt has not at some point ask God, why God? Why me? I think he would be more than human. I know that I would have probably asked that question. My little niece, just some months ago now, who had life moving full throttle ahead, her husband, a wonderful dentist, and a thriving practice, when one morning they found him stone dead. Now she's left as a single mom with three kids to raise. And I'm certain she wondered, Oh God, what am I going to do now? How am I going to go forward? How am I going to handle this situation? And there are those that are in my presence this morning, just this week, have been diagnosed with cancer. And that sends a chill down my spine because of all the uncertainties. And it goes on and on. People find themselves at wit's end wondering, how is my life going to be from here on out? I want to suggest to you, my dear friends, that in the midst of that, you may not need a definition of redemption and adoption. and You may not need a, a discourse on, on, on what it means to, to have your sins fixed to the cross. Yes, of course, that's all important. But the thing you probably need as much as anything is a wonderful sense of God's peace that He provides in the midst of the storm. 
my dear friends, he said to these people, I give you my peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. Darren practically stole my message this morning when he sang and led us in singing that last song. Jesus is all I need. He is all I need in life storms, in what you're going through this morning. But I take you to another scene. It's uh, somewhat similar to the one I just described. Two men are walking on their road to Emmaus. Emmaus lies some seven miles outside Jerusalem. It's kind of like, well, kind of like Cedar Springs maybe here. Or an eight-mile corner that isn't eight miles. <laughs> Not quite. They've straightened out the road. It's only seven now. And they're so dejected. There are so many unanswered questions. They had witnessed what we call Good Friday. And their world, though they were not a member of the Twelve, they were nonetheless followers of Jesus. And they were walking along saying, How could it be? We had such hopes. We, 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 we thought it would turn out differently than this. When suddenly a mystery person kind of fell in step with him. And he said, what are you discussing? What has you so dejected? And they looked at him incredulously and they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has transpired this past week? And beginning way over at the Old Testament, he began to explain to them the various Old Testament prophecies and how they related to the coming Messiah. And they listened and they, they learned and, and they were enlightened. And they came to that fork of the road when it was necessary for them to turn off to their little village of Emmaus. And Jesus, whom they hadn't recognized yet, made as though he was going to walk on. And they said, oh, sir, come and spend the night with us. And, of course, he agreed to do so. And as they sat down for the late evening snack or maybe a meal, as we sometimes do, and Jesus took up the bread and he lifted his head and he began to bless it, suddenly scales fell off their eyes. And they recognized him as Jesus. And just that quickly, he disappeared from their sight. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us along the way? But that's not the whole point of what I'm trying to make. They had been exhausted emotionally and even physically. Seven miles is a long way to walk. I've driven it at 65 miles an hour, 55 out, 52, by the way, or 32, rather. At 55, you better go 55. And uh, 
That doesn't take long to get seven miles, but to walk it is a long ways. But the Scripture tells us they were so filled with joy that they immediately got up and ran seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem and bounded into the upper room where they assumed the disciples were still gathered. And they exclaimed, We have seen Him. He's alive. He walked with us by the way. I want to tell you, my dear friends, Jesus gives us peace. And when the joy, seemingly because of circumstances, has gone out of your life, I want to tell you experientially, God can give you a deep-seated joy. Now, that's something different maybe from happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. And we may not understand our circumstances, and we may still have a lot of questions that are still unanswered, as did they. But God can give us a deep joy in our hearts that God has this. God is in control. And the God is a promise-keeping God. My dear friends, today, God can give you peace in the midst of your storm. And God can give you joy when your world has been turned upside down. And God hasn't seemed to act as though you thought He should have acted. I take you to scene number three. And that's the story of Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that moniker hung on you? (laughs) I don't know why Thomas was not in the upper room on that first day when the Lord made his appearance, but he wasn't. He wasn't there to see Jesus just suddenly appear in the room. And he wasn't there to share when the men on the way back from Emmaus burst into the room just so caught up with ecstasy. When they told Thomas about it, he was skeptical. You see, faith did not come that easy for Thomas. And he'd had his faith shattered. He had had his faith shaken to the core. And he said, you know, guys, you can uh, buy into that if you want to. But he said, I personally am going to have to see the scars on his hands and the nail prints in his feet, and I'm going to have to thrust my hand into that gaping scar in his side. But this particular day, a week later, he is there when suddenly... Jesus shows up again and he immediately focuses on Thomas. And he said, Thomas, come here, son. Feel prints in my hands. Feel the... And Thomas didn't that feel anything. <laughs> he just exclaimed, my Lord and my God. And God restored faith that had been shaken to the core. Now, you may be too spiritual for what I'm about to suggest. 
You may never have experienced this. Faith may come easy for you. But if you have never experienced the time when your faith has been tested to the point that you hardly (laughs) knew your name, some of the most spiritual individuals I have ever known in my life have gone through extreme tests of faith. I'm thinking about one of the holiest, godliest men that I know. I think partly what was happening in his case was that he was overexerting himself. He was a college professor. He taught his classes during the day and then he would travel some distance where he would often speak at revivals and conventions. He was much in demand. And he had been on the go and on the go. And sometimes physical exertion and physical extremity can play on our minds and even on our spirits. But he testified to me. He said, Richard, I went through three months when I didn't feel God. I prayed. He was a man of prayer. He said, I didn't sense God. He said, if I went by, if I went by feeling, I guess I'd have to tell you that I just, I just hardly even felt anything like a Christian is supposed to feel. But I went ahead and taught my classes. And he said, I preached my revivals and thank God, oh God, reveal yourself. God, I can't go on like this. I feel so bone dry. I feel so washed out. I feel so, so empty. My, my cup is empty. God, I need you to show up. God was silent. God was silent. <laughs> he said, I was on my way to a revival meeting. I knew I'd have to preach in just a little while. He said, I looked at my watch And he said, I discerned that I had a half hour to spare. He said, I didn't think that I could face my duties that night without receiving a touch from God. And so he said, I pulled off the road and I wanted to be somewhere where I wasn't noticed. So he said, I went into a cemetery. (laughs) I guess that's a good place to pray. And he said, I poured out my heart to God for a half hour and I said oh God I can't go on like this I don't feel you I don't sense you I just am so empty I don't think I can face my duties tonight nothing nothing God said nothing he said it came to the end of that half hour I knew I had to go on in order to make my appointment he said, I got back into the car. And I started down the road. And he said, just as calmly, a voice came to me and said, calling me by name, where is your will? And he said, oh God, there's no question where my will is. My will is to serve you. Regardless, I am going forward with you if I never feel a thing in my heart again. And he said, 
just like that, it seemed like God dumped a bucket load of honey on my soul. He said, I began to weep and cry and bawl until he said, be late or not be late. I, I was endangering my life. He said, I had to pull off to the side of the road. And he said, finally, I had to say to God, God, you're going to have to stay your hand. I can't, I can't stand anymore. He said, it just came wave after wave of bucket loads of love and honey. Sometimes our faith will be tested and God will be silent and we'll say, oh God, do you not hear? Do you not care? But it is at that point in time somewhere if we'll be faithful and determine that we're not going back as the chorus we sang a moment ago. God will show up. And the thing that happened with Thomas, doubting Thomas, his faith had been restored to such a degree, he didn't have to put his fingers in the palm of Christ's hands or thrust his hand into his side. My Lord and my God is melted in the presence of God. If you're struggling at the point of faith today, hold on, my child. Joy and faith. Peace comes in the morning. One last scene I leave with you. That's that scene that's described for us over there in Matthew chapter 21. I, I find this rather interesting. Jesus had appeared to the disciples now several times, but they just had not been able to shake what I call the funk. They just were in a... They, were, they just couldn't connect the dots. They just couldn't put it together. How does this fit in? Now, understand, they came to understand all that we understand and more from the New Testament, but they didn't have that. They're feeling their way along. And Peter, I, 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 Peter, so much like us. Guys, he says to the other disciple, I'm going back to my nets. I'm going fishing. I don't, I don't understand this discipleship thing. I mean, I'm reading between the lines, but several of them say, hey, we're going with you. I, I think I spoke on this some time ago. Boy, there are some scriptures that I really identify with. Uh, the scripture says they fished all night and they caught nothing. <laughs> Kenny, I think you and I got a little fishing trip. I've got to tell you, son, there's a little black cloud that hangs over my head. You can be doing well. Put Beckham in the boat. It's over. <laughs> you don't need to shake your head yes. I know, I know it's true. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> now, now uh, I don't get too shocked if I don't catch. I'm not very much of a professional fisherman. That's for sure. These were professionals. 
It's the one thing at which they were good. They knew how to do anything. They knew how to fish. It was their livelihood. They knew the Galilee like the back of their hand, but they couldn't, they couldn't get a bite. They couldn't get anything in the net. And it was dark night. The darkest part of the night is just before the dawning of the day, you know. And that's the point at which they were at despair when they hear something magical. I've often thought, what they, what, I, I think it may have caused the hair to stand up on the back of their heads. <laughs> Children. That just speaks to me. I don't, I don't know whether it speaks to you. His first word, the first word out of the mouth of this mystery person was children. These are guys that had cut and run. These are guys that had failed. These are guys that had stumbled. These are guys that are down on their luck. These are guys that are at wit's end. And Jesus seems to say, children, I still claim you. You may have, you may have failed yourself and failed in your vows and cut and run and played the part of the coward, but you're still mine. Children, in quick succession, I, I'll not belabor this, but have you any meat? <laughs> and they just had to shake their head. No, we're done. We're skunked. We're beat. We're depressed. None of it makes any sense. And suddenly, I don't know what happens, but Peter, I, I think it's the Lord. He about, he about knocked all the water out of the Galilee. <laughs> Getting there. Jesus says, come and dine. They had a breakfast like none other. And then Jesus pulled Peter aside. I think Peter probably hated himself more than any of the others because he had made such boasts. I don't know what these other guys are going to do, but you can count on old Peter. I want to tell you, I'll hang in there with you if it means my life. And he was one of the first to cut and run. I don't even think he wanted to look himself in the mirror. I can't believe I did that. Have you ever been there? I can't believe I did that. I, I can't believe that I failed God in that way. And the Lord pulls him off to the side. I'm glad God didn't embarrass him. Jesus didn't do it in front of the other disciples. He pulled him off to the side. And he said, Peter, you've made your boasts. Lovest thou me more than these? Whether he meant the other disciples or whether he meant the boat and the fishes, I don't know. But Peter just is brokenhearted. But I don't want to belabor that point. You've all heard preachers talk about how God ratchets up the the questions there. But finally, the point I want to make is that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I have a job for you to do. And though you have failed me and stumped your toe and disappointed yourself, 
I recommission you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And suddenly Peter had the one thing that he needed right then more than anything else. And that was hope for the future. When I talk about post-resurrection provisions, talking about peace, talking about joy, talking about faith, talking about hope. I probably shouldn't give an illustration about myself, but hey, pastors, as they say crudely, put their britches on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And I think it was one of the low points of my ministry, Pastor Joe, looking back on it. I think I had been in a low-grade depression for about three years. I had a congregation that was not the easiest to pastor, though I had a good pastor there and never had any real difficulty. But I, it was... I. I I I prayed fervently for reassignment. God, please. I don't think I'm a good match here. I don't think I'm I don't think the electricity and the chemistry is right here. I, I oh God, give me deliverance. Have you ever, No, you, you may not understand that. Nothing. God says I want you to stay right there. Four years. Five years, six years, seven years, eight years. God, God, please. It was Christmas time. I mean, I was so emotionally out of gas. <laughs> I, uh, but some of the parishioners invited me to, and us, Wanda and I, to, to a Christmas party. And they had invited another pastor from another town. And he was there. We were just conversing. Nobody asked him to do it. He came right out of the blue. He picked up a Bible on the table there and he said, I want to read something. And this is what he read from Jeremiah 29 and 11. I've read it hundreds and hundreds of times and heard it read. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I was dumbstruck. It was as though God had come down and said, Richard, I have a message for you. I know it applies principally to Israel, but that day God spoke those words to me. He said, he started to lay it down. He said, you know what? I want to read that again. I said, do it, brother. Do it. I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. 
Friends, it was like pouring spiritual adrenaline into my vein. I took on new courage and new vitality. Yes, I stayed there another year, but things were different. I knew that God had me. He had me where He wanted me. And when He got through with me there, I knew He would would give direction. God has come to give us wonderful provisions. Oh, yes, glorious Easter provisions. We talked about them, but on a very practical level. Peace, joy, faith, and hope. And seemingly for a moment, God may be silent. He may not be just rushing in, but He'll show up. He'll show up. He's going to show up and give us just what we need in the midst of that storm. Give comfort, give help, give reassurance. Well, give those post-resurrection provisions when we need them the most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Come tonight here, Pastor. Oh, my. It's going to be special. God bless you, each one. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.